All right, well, have you ever had the experience of warring against sin and losing? Have you ever fallen into a pattern of sin and you find yourself doing something you know is wrong? And you're not ignorant. It's not ignorance here. You, you know it's wrong. In your right mind, you would say, I don't want to do that thing. I, I wish I wasn't going to do that thing. But maybe it's just once every few weeks, once every few days, lo and behold, a moment of weakness comes and you fall. You fall into that same sin. You find yourself doing the very thing you said you didn't want to do. Afterward, you feel guilty and remorseful. Maybe you try and repent. You offer some promises to God. I'll never do it again. You offer some penance. I'll read my Bible extra tonight. But in the back of your mind, you know it's just a matter of time before it's going to happen again. This cycle repeats over and over again. And the longer it goes on, the more it kind of sucks the spiritual life out of you. You can start to feel cold and and lifeless in your Christian walk. You wish things were different, but you feel just a bit helpless. You don't know how to change. You don't know how to grow. You don't know how to wage war against sin. And in, in my years of pastoral ministry, I find this experience not to be the exception, but the norm. Uh, Many Christians, if not most, have experienced some level of significant defeat on the battlefield. But a huge problem is that just they don't know how to fight. They don't know how to grow. Christian growth, it should be like 101. After you become a believer, here's how you are meant to now grow in this new faith. But so many are ignorant on how to grow. And so it's not uncommon to find Christians who are plagued with serious ongoing sin in their lives. Talking about a sin that just has a real hold on you. It's latched onto you like a leech and it just clings to you and you you can't shake it. Most of these same Christians, again, they're ignorant on what to do about it. And that's a huge problem because like a leech, these besetting sins, as they're often called, can really suck the spiritual vitality out of you. Now, let me ask you a related question. Have you ever experienced a form of mediocrity or lethargy in your Christian walk. I want to detail what that related phenomenon looks like. It usually starts when some besetting sin enters your life. How it began, beside the point at this point, but one way or another, somewhere along the line, some besetting sin entered your life. It just, it got you. And you find yourself regularly acting against God's will. You keep falling to the same sin over and over and over again. And every time you fall, you you feel bad. You you say you don't want to do it again, but inevitably you fall into that same sin. And a real part of you wants to change, but kind of like an animal caught in a snare or a trap, you just, you don't know how to get out. You don't know how to escape this pattern. You again, you feel powerless and helpless. And over time, Being unable to overcome, you sink into a new normal of Christian living where you just kind of learn to accept this sin in your life and just like live with it. Maybe you try and justify your sin because you don't want a guilty conscience every day of the week. Or maybe you just kind of stop thinking about it altogether. Most, I think, they just tune it out. They they accept in, in their heart of hearts a little blind spot where they overlook this thing in their life and eventually they just stop thinking about it. A little callous forms over their heart and they just turn a blind eye to their own sin. And they ration, like, it's not like I'm abandoning the faith or I'm not abandoning Jesus. I still believe in Jesus, still go to church. But you've resigned yourself to a level of spiritual defeat and mediocrity. And one, getting too involved at church feels hypocritical. For two, you don't really want people prying into your sin life. Your time in the Word, your time in prayer suffers. Your heart doesn't really feel into it. Just it feels off. You'd rather do other things anyway. Just feel a distance to the things of the Lord. You pull back. And unbeknownst to you, during this whole time, you're growing more and more spiritually weak. You're being spiritually malnourished. You're spiritually starving. You're becoming weaker and weaker in your faith. And when it comes time to face a spiritual battle, a temptation, you're barely strong enough to pick up the sword. You can't pick up the shield. You're easy picking for the enemy. You fall. You fall again and again. You're just so weak. This type of mediocre, lukewarm, resigned living sadly characterizes, I think, too many Christians today. This this can go on for decades. You live in this type of weakness, though, has an extreme danger. You get to this 
extremely brittle state, spiritually speaking, the danger is that it just takes one more push, one more great trial, one more great temptation for you to fall into a grave sin or for you to just fall away from the faith altogether. You may think that's impossible, but this is literally how that happens. When people fall into a, a grave sin or they just fall away, as we often say, like they don't fall far. Meaning, over the years, they've inched closer and closer and closer to the edge of that cliff, compromise after compromise, and not learning how to overcome. And eventually, they're they're just living on the edge. It just takes one more push, and off they go. They've been on the losing side of the war against sin for a long time. It's taken its toll. They're ready to surrender. And usually, that's when a big fall is about to take place. So I'll ask again, have you ever had the experience of warring against sin and losing? And have you ever experienced a form of decline or, you might say, mediocrity in your Christian faith? Some of you, I I would imagine, you've already gotten to that point. The fire of your faith has died down to mere embers. You're, You're barely hanging on, having been mostly defeated by your sin. Others, maybe you think and feel like, I think I'm on that trajectory. You know, the enemy keeps making forward progress. You keep retreating. You're yielding more of your life to sin's domain, not the Lord's domain. You're going the wrong direction. Now, some of you may not experience this. Maybe some of you here, you are strong in the faith. You are seeking to resist and overcome temptation, but you still need better equipping, you feel, to help yourself help others more. Just pick up the Bible. Read it. Apply its instruction on how to wage spiritual warfare. By his power, by his spirit, you, you can. You are meant to experience growth and victory over sin in this age. You can wage war with sin and, and win. So this equipping class is designed to help you do just that. So welcome you now again to this short series titled Winning the War Against Sin. And for the next six weeks, we're going to gather, study the Bible together to discover what God has revealed about the means of spiritual growth. This should be Christianity 101. It's often not. Well, well, here we are. Let's see if we can do something about that. We live in the time between our past justification and our future glorification. Now is the time for what's called sanctification. But what does that look like? The Christian is called a new creature, but part of us sure feels old. So what do we do about that? We know we're meant to grow in the faith because all living things grow, but how do we grow? Do we have a part to play? Is it all God? Just let go, let God, or is it all up to us? Our striving, our energy, somewhere in between? What are the mechanics of spiritual growth? How do you get labor to practically implement it in your life? This is not just going to be a theology lesson, but also practically how to implement, what to do, what to change to grow. Just apply what the word says, not me what the word says. And what, is, what does God actually expect us to do to fight? We're not going to answer everything today. So all your questions won't be answered in the first session, but we'll get there. Now, in the meantime, hopefully you already gain some measure of hope, especially if you're here and you've been on the losing side for a long time now. Just already knowing biblically, it is possible to gain the advantage over the sin in your life. But God's word, God's spirit, God's power, the new birth, these are sufficient for you. They're not insufficient. They are sufficient for you to grow, to change, and to overcome your sin. And as you get to know your enemy, which is largely within you, and as you learn to lean on God's resources he's already provided for you, you should and will experience change and growth. That's hope you can bank on right now, trusting equipping to come. And all this, it's only to your own good, but ultimately to God's glory. He's glorified when we seek to become like his son. And I can't fight for you per se, but I can show you the battle plan. That's what this class is designed to do. And today is an introductory message designed to frame this whole subject. We need to do that. Our time this evening, I want to just spend our time helping you understand better the nature of the conflict we're in. And before worrying about how to fight, I know you want to jump to the how-to, but before you get to the how to fight, you kind of need to understand what, what war are you even in? What are, we, what are we doing here? What's, what is the battle? 
It doesn't make sense to jump right into tactics if you don't even know your enemy, know the war that, that's taking place. So our first session this evening, big picture, just an introduction to the war against sin. What, what is this war that we're, we're talking about here? So we're going to begin with the, the big picture introduction to the war against sin. We usually think of a war as a conflict between two or more parties. In the traditional sense, we imagine you know, one nation fighting against another nation, struggling for control of territory. And sadly, we are witnessing that in our own day. Right now, there's a war between Russia and Ukraine. That's how we normally think of war, conflict. At the same time, we've grown accustomed to more abstract wars, especially in recent history, like the 80s and 90s, saw the war on drugs. 2000s was the war on terror. And of late, we might identify a war on truth. But there's been another hostile conflict taking place with with dire consequences. The war on sin. And it's been going on from the beginning, from the very beginning of mankind. This war has been taking place. It's been dragging on for centuries. This is a battle every single person should be keenly aware of and invested in to fight, but few are. That's a real problem, as John Owen said. You better be battling your sin or killing your sin or it will be killing you. Be killing your sin or it will be killing you. That's really not far from what God said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. He warned Cain, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. But if we're going to further understand the nature of the conflict we're in, we have to define sin. So how, how do we define sin itself? It's, it seems simple, but if you're challenged to define it, uh, what would you come up with? The Bible uses a plethora of language to describe sin. So let's, let's use some of that to form a big picture. Sin is missing the mark of God's standard. Sin is going astray from God's path. Sin is transgressing God's boundaries. Sin is trading God's love. Sin is disobeying God's commands. Sin is breaking God's law. Many ways, biblically, to think of sin. That last one might be the most straightforward. Just breaking of God's law. God's the king, right? Of of the universe. He's the eternal creator. We're mere creatures. We're animated dust. He's the omnipotent, eternal, sovereign king. And so his word goes. His will should be done on earth as it is in heaven. But when his creatures rebel against that will, that's what we call sin. That's the definition of sin. Sin is rebellion against the revealed will of God. And that's in word or deed, thought or desire, just any level of rebellion against God. This rebellion against God's will was not limited to Adam and Eve, spread to all mankind. All mankind has been living in wholesale rebellion against the will of God. This is why the Bible describes us as being born into a state of enmity with God. War. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. God sees of mankind that every intent of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. It's God's verdict before the flood. After the flood, it doesn't change. Genesis 8, 21, God sees that the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. We're corrupt. Our federal head, Adam, declared a war of independence against God. He rebelled against the throne, God's throne, seeking his own autonomy. And that heart of rebellion has been born in every person ever since. We want our will to be done no matter what what God's will says. And so all mankind exists in a state of war against God, both by nature and by choice. We're born into it, but we also take up arms. In one of the longest active wars in recorded history took place in the Middle Ages between the kingdom of England and France, known as the Hundred Years' War, took place from 1337 to 1453 AD. These two nations fought back and forth for control of territory. And I think a lot of pride was involved as well. But just think, over a hundred years. How many thousands of people were born, and just by virtue of being born in a certain location, they were born in a state of war. 
Just by virtue of where they were born, they already had enemies. If they were found, captured, their life was at risk. They're just born in a state of war. But at the same time, when they came of age, they all willingly joined the conflict. They all signed up to fight for their country. They are happy to join and fight, or at least for some. But really, that, that's the state of mankind at war with God. We, we've all declared independence from God's rule in our lives, his will, his law, his word. And we fight against him all the time, by nature and by choice. That's, that's the definition of sin. It's rebellion against God's will. It's self-will over God's will. That is sin. So now that we better understand what sin is, we can think a little more deeply on this war against sin. Again, I want you to see the big picture nature of this conflict before we talk about battle tactics. So we will get there. But this class is titled The War Against Sin. What, what is that conflict? We have to understand the nature of the conflict if we hope to win. So next, I want to explore the war against sin from three perspectives. Three different perspectives. And your perspective really will influence how you perceive this war. As it is right now with Russia and Ukraine. What do you think about that war? Your answer will be shaded largely based on what country you're from. Whether Ukraine or Russia or Belarus or Poland, U.S., China. Where you're from is going to have a lot to do with how you perceive that war. And so it is with the war on sin. So let's gain some clar- uh, clarification. Now first, from the perspective of an unbeliever. The war against sin from the perspective of an unbeliever. So first, from the perspective of, of a non-Christian, I should say that there is no war against sin. They're still on sin's side. They're living in total wholesale rebellion against God. They, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 would say, they still reside in the kingdom of darkness. They're still living under the sway of the prince of the power of the air. They're still by nature children of wrath. They're still by choice indulging in the lust of the flesh. That's just Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, all of us before salvation. And so look, there's no meaningful war against sin by the unbeliever. This is not to say the unbeliever cannot change his or her ways and and put off certain sinful habits. They can. Look, maybe you've known someone addicted to drugs or alcohol, but but they cleaned up their act. They're, They're not a Christian, but they found a way to just break the habits. They turned away. They never looked back. So for the rest of their lives, we would say, amen, that, that's, that's awesome to get away from really sins that have a lot of bad effects to them. But at the same time, that that person has done nothing to address their rebellion against God. And they're still rebelling against God in a plethora of other ways. Just imagine a, an 18th century pirate captain. He's rebelled. He used to be in the Navy, the Royal Navy, but he rebelled against the British crown. He commandeered a Navy vessel, took it. Now he's living on the high seas with this pirate crew doing whatever they want. And as most pirates do, they, they, they give themselves over to licentiousness, drunkenness. That has completely captivated this captain. But it, it's kind of wrecking his life. It's leading to trouble and loss and suffering. He gets tired of it, so he changes and he gives it up. No more rum or whatever else they, they drank back then. And he, he just quits cold turkey and he never looks back. And we, we'd say, hey, you know, good for him. But, you know, he's, he's still a pirate, right? He's still living, existing in rebellion against the crown. He's still an enemy of the state. If he were captured by the state, the king would not care that he gave up drinking. He, he would still be made to pay for his rebellion. See, nothing has changed in his fundamental state before the governing authorities. And so it is with the unbeliever who who changes their ways, cleans up their act a little bit. But look, until their rebellion against God is addressed, they're they're not in the war against sin. They're on the enemy side. They're still fighting against God just in a different way. And God is fighting against them. Now, speaking of God fighting, that's the second perspective. War against sin. Secondly, from the perspective of God. Why don't you think about this war from God's perspective? Because ultimately, this war against sin, this is God's war. This is not our war. You need to understand that. We're the sinners here, right? We're the rebels. We're the pirates. He's the crown. 
He's the rightful sovereign and ruler over us. God has done nothing wrong. He's perfectly righteous. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all, for Sean 1.5. This good and holy God made us to be good and holy like him. But, but we're the ones who have sinned against him. We have usurped his rule over this world. Now again, God sovereignly allowed for that to happen, but he's not going to allow that forever. The time will come when he will be stirred to action. His patience towards rebels is not eternal And a day of judgment is coming. Now, God has given some previews of what this war on sin looks like from his perspective. When he's provoked, when he's aroused to judge. Think in the Old Testament of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, the rebellion of those two cities against the revealed will of God reached such a fever pitch that God could not be patient toward it any longer. He was moved to judge. Their immorality demanded judgment. So he sent, God sent a destroying angel to utterly wipe them out. That's how the war against sin ends for everyone in the end who's not in Christ. Exodus 34, 7 says God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Hebrews 9, 27 says it is appointed for men to die once, then comes the judgment. All people die, 100%, because the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. All will stand before God and be judged. The war against sin will come to a sudden end when God finally judges. This war will not last forever. He allowed it. He will put it down in his timing. There won't even be a struggle on his part. And in the end, all rebels, human and demonic, their final judgment is a place called the lake of fire. They're removed from God's special presence forever. They only ever know the presence of his wrath. That is a terrifying thought. And so when you think about it, that you know, fighting against God is not a good idea. This is not a smart war. As it's been said, you know, never fight a land war in Asia, especially in the winter. It's just a losing war. And so it is with fighting against God. This, this war, the war against sin does not end well for sinners. But thankfully, it's not all bad news. And it's not entirely hopeless for sinners. God is perfectly just, yes, but he's not only just. He is also gracious and merciful and loving. And in that mercy, he devised a plan to save rebels. He didn't have to do that. He could have just judged every rebel and been perfectly righteous in doing so, but moved in compassion, he devised a plan to save rebels. You should know that plan culminated in his son, Christ Jesus, God the Son, who came to earth to live among us and to save us. And Christ came the first time not to judge, but to save, to stand in the place of sinners, to bear God's judgment on their behalf. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. You might say Jesus went to war against your sin on the cross by standing in your place, bearing your penalty. We were the rebels. We deserve God's wrath. But Jesus took that cup of wrath and drank it in our stead. He drank it to the full on our behalf. By finishing that work, by making complete atonement, Jesus enabled us to be redeemed as a people by God. Or for God, I should say. In Christ, God purchased us from sin. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his son. That's just Colossians 1, 13 and 14. We've, we've moved now to God's side. That's, that's God's doing. Or Colossians 1, 21, 22. It says, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds... Okay, you used to be on the other side. It says, yet now God has reconciled you in his flesh, or Christ has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And we can also think of Romans 5, 9, and 10. It says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save sinners. And by his death and resurrection, we can actually be transformed from enemies to friends, sons and daughters even. Just You should take a moment to appreciate the level of love, sacrifice Jesus showed you, if you know him. I mean, it can be said that in a sense on the cross, God the Father went to war against his son as he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Or, or as Isaiah says of the suffering servant. Listen to Isaiah 53, verse 10. It says, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. I mean, Jesus died giving his perfect life to God's wrath that, that we might be spared. The world does not understand that level of sacrifice. It doesn't make sense. You know, right now, obviously going to draw on the Ukraine war a ton for a series titled Winning the War Against Sin. But right now, you will witness, I think many Ukrainians, that they're fighting back against the Russian invaders. And you'll see many instances of Ukrainians giving up their lives for their country or for a fellow soldier. They will die to save the life of a friend. How many Ukrainians are going to give up their life to save the life of a Russian? What if they had before, standing before them, a Russian general guilty of war crimes and a grenade falls right on the ground, is a Ukrainian soldier going to jump on that grenade to give his life to save the life of a Russian invader? They'd never do that. That that doesn't make sense. Why would you ever trade your life for the life of a wicked enemy? But as you know, this is what God did for us more so. Christ's life was more valuable than any human life, being God the Son. So Romans 5, 7 and 8 says, we read verses 9 and 10, but verses 7 and 8 says, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in a state of enmity and rebellion and sin, God knowing that sent his son over to enemy lines to to trade his life for us. And so Jesus died to show us God's love for us. And this is not fair because we were, we were the rebels. We were the guilty sinners. It's not fair, but it is grace. And it's God's prerogative to show grace. And to be saved by grace, that's the only way. And to be saved by grace, there's only one way for that. To receive this gift, it's by faith. By faith in Christ alone. That's the only way to find peace with God. Talking about peace, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what faith is? Faith is not a work. It's not about doing or striving or being a good person. Faith is fundamentally surrender. Saving faith begins with the recognition of your sin and guilt. You realize, wait a second, I'm the enemy. I'm on the wrong side. I am fighting on the wrong side here. You're on the wrong side of the war. You are the evil invader. You are the wicked rebel before a perfectly righteous God. His judgment is coming. You can't win fighting against him. It's deserved. And there's nothing you can do to escape his wrath. That's where all saving faith begins. It has to begin there. But then you come to learn that the Lord of hosts, right? The commander of the armies on the other side has sacrificed his own son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You come to learn that. And you then realize you have only one hope. You've got to lay down your arms Give up your rebellion. Turn away from the darkness, the life of sin you've been living. Repent. And then you've got to run over to God and his side. You've got to wave the white flag and just surrender. You surrender your will, your sin, your life to him as, as king. And all you can do is just plead for mercy. You don't, you're not entitled to anything. You just you beg for mercy. And look, it's amazing right now. We're witnessing that. Russians doing that. 
How many stories have you read of Russians where they realize they're on the wrong side of an unjust war, they're losing. They want no part in this, so they lay down their arms, they abandon their tanks, and they run over to the Ukrainian side and plead for mercy. There's been many stories of that. Now listen, when you do that, right, they're the enemy. They could be shot on sight. But their only hope is just to surrender and plead for mercy. It's all they can expect. And the Ukrainians have proven quite merciful, I think, toward Russians who surrender. But God promises to always be merciful towards sinners who surrender. Just, I, I give up my rebellion. I submit to the crown, to Christ. Those who cast themselves on Christ's death and resurrection will never be disappointed. This is saving faith, and through it, God promises to cleanse you of all of your sin. So all of your guilt is erased. And then he even promises to clothe you with the robe of Christ's perfect righteousness. So when God sees you, he he sees the robe. He sees you're perfectly righteous because you have Christ. You're justified by faith. That means you're made right with God. You're you're on his side now. He's, He's captured you. I mean, this this is good news. This is the glory of Christ's gospel. Unique, by the way. There's no religion like this. Nothing even close to this type of glory. But to think that God would take some of his enemies captive, but not as prisoners of war. He takes them captive and he just, he transformed them into sons and daughters. He says, you're mine now. You're on my side. We wonder, you know, can this be? Yes, it can. This is the glory of the gospel. But we have to ask, is this true for you? Have you received this good news? Has this happened to you? Have you surrendered your will to God through Christ, recognizing him as your Lord, your King, your sovereign? You have a point in your life where you you give up your rebellion. You repent, you believe, you cling to him. If not, you're still at war with God. And he's still at war with you. But you can repent and believe today while it's still called today and be saved. That's the only way to be on the winning side of this war against sin. If you go to Christ, you will be justified, be reconciled, you'll be redeemed, you'll be adopted into his family. And then he gives you his name. You're called Christian follower of Christ, one saved by Christ. And when that happens to you, Then and only then does this war against sin take on a whole new perspective. So now we can finally come to what you came here for. The war against sin, thirdly, from the perspective of a believer. From the perspective of now a believer. This war takes on a whole new meaning, a whole new shape when you've come to God's side. It's not over though. When you come to faith in Christ, the Bible says you're justified hand in hand with justification. It's something called regeneration. This is the new birth. You're born again. Actually, it's the sovereign working of God drawing you that that enables you to believe. But this is where God takes your dead heart of stone and replaces it with the living heart of flesh. He he makes you spiritually alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, but he makes you alive. Like Ephesians 2, 5 says, It says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. This is a new birth. God is remaking you on the inside. We're given a new spirit, a new self. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 puts it this way. It says, do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. Come back to that verse big time. This evening is survey. We're going to dive into some of these verses in the weeks to come. So we've been made fundamentally new on the inside. You are new if you're in Christ on the inside. On the outside, you are not new. You're still old. The outer man has not been redeemed yet. This newness has not extended to our bodies. God made us body and spirit. The body, so far, is unaffected by salvation. Romans 8.23 says, Having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we, grown within ourselves, 
waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So our inner man is made new. Our outer man is not. Our bodies are still cursed. This is why we age, we suffer, we decay, we die. But Christ has guaranteed the completion of our salvation when we're given a new outer man. We're given a new body fit for eternity with him. This is why our ultimate hope is the resurrection. When we will be free from the very presence of sin, made new inside and outside. And we refer to that state as glorification. And that future time is initiated by the return of Christ. And that's why that's our hope. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 puts it this way. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. We very much look forward to that day when we will be free from sin forevermore. But as you know, that day is not today. And that's the rub. That day is not today. And here we are. That's why we're here in a class titled Winning the War Against Sin. Because that day is not today. We're not yet free from the presence of sin. So right now we live in between the times. We're justified, but we're not yet glorified. We're in between. We're saved, but we're still sinners. We're new, but part of us is old. We're freed from the penalty of sin. We're not freed from the presence of sin. We have overcome the power of sin in principle, but not in practice. So you should feel this inconsistency within you. If you've confessed Christ, you know what I'm talking about right now. You know, it's like, there's like, there's two of you. So what do we make of this? Because here we are, we're on God's side of the battle now. We've been transferred to the kingdom of light. But from time to time, sometimes often, we find ourselves fighting against our new commander in chief, Christ Jesus. Like we're still rebelling against him. How can this be? And what do we do about this? Look, thankfully, he is eternally gracious with his children. We are forgiven entirely in Christ. There's no losing that salvation. But we're not okay with this. Should we be okay with this? It kind of feels like now we're in a war with ourselves. And indeed we are. To join God's war against sin in this age really is to join a war against now yourself, your old self, or as Paul often puts it, the flesh. So listen to how Paul phrases this war. A key text we'll return to Romans 7, 22 through 23. He says, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, right? Law of God. I don't want to rebel against the law of God anymore. I love the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body. He says, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Which is quite a war taking place inside of himself. And that same war is going on in in us between the spirit and the flesh, between the new man and the remnants of this old man. That is a war that we as unbelievers did not know. Before Christ, you were only the old man. You only had the flesh. There was no real struggle. But now if you've come to Christ, God has made you new, but you've not yet been freed from the body of this death, as he puts it later. And Romans 7. And so now a new struggle ensues. And so welcome to the Christian life. Until you die. We are justified but not yet glorified. In between, what is God's will for us? It is to be sanctified. This is what he has told us to do. To wage war against the remaining sin in our lives by his power. That we might be progressively conformed to the image of Christ according to his many plans and purposes for his glory and our good. But this is his will. Again, a sampling, Romans 6, 11 and 12. It says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lusts. 
It's another very critical verse. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men and pursue the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord or see the Lord. If you're not being sanctified, you have no hope of being glorified because it's a golden chain. If you're justified, you will be sanctified. You will be glorified. There's no skipping the middle step. That just means you've likely never been justified. Examine your faith. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Doesn't get clearer than that. He adds in verse 7, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. And then, of course, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where Paul urges them to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but reminding them, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Another verse we'll come back to. But God's work, will is for us to be progressively molded into Christ's image. We're perfect in position. If you know Christ, you're perfect in position, but we are not perfect in practice. In this age, his will is for us to be conformed, that our, our practice would match our position, that we would be who we are. We would live as we are. God worked salvation in us. He wants to see us work it out, i.e. live it out. He made us good trees. Now he wants to see us grow and bear fruit, right? Bear the fruit of the spirit. And by the way, speaking of the spirit, you do realize this is the the very reason he gave us the permanent indwelling spirit. His main purpose in giving the spirit to his people was their holiness. He's called the Holy Spirit for a reason. That's why he was sent. Isn't this what God promised he would do? Think back to that new covenant promise. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. God said, looking forward, he said, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Give you a heart of flesh. flesh. That's new birth. Then he says in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. The promise of the Spirit was always tied to your holiness. That you would finally actually be holy as God is holy. That's always been the plan. That now that we have a new heart and the Holy Spirit uh, residing within us, there's definitely no more excuse to not be progressively conformed to Christ's image. To be holy as God is holy. This is what God expects of all who are Christians, who've been given the Spirit. But really, the Spirit, we will find, is is one of the keys to our practical victory over sin. A massive verse. I'm setting up all these previews, but a massive verse we'll pick on. Galatians 5.16, where Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You still have the flesh. It still has sinful desires, but you no longer are enslaved to them. All you got to do is walk by the Spirit. And that's it. You will not carry them out. Now, I think we can put this all together, though. This, this war against sin from the perspective of a believer. This is not our war. This is God's war. We were the enemies fighting against him. But through Christ, he's redeemed us, rescued us, recruited us, and now enlisted us on his side to fight for him. For his glory. This is not our war to win, even still. Christ is the victor. He has won the war. He has already put down the enemy. He has sealed his victory in his death and resurrection. He will return to finish the job. One day, King Jesus will return. But until that day, while we live here below, God has given his people marching orders. He has told us his will for our new lives in Christ. And what God cares about far more than our health, wealth, and happiness is our holiness. Again, that that we are holy as he is holy. And furthermore, he's given us everything we need to carry out these marching orders. You've been justified. You've been born again. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given Christ's word. You've been placed in the church. We're thoroughly equipped. He's not sent us into this battle unarmed. Now it is time for us to fight, to wage war against sin, our sin, you worry less about other people's sin. Just worry about your own sin foremost, and you'll be doing fine. 
wage war against our own sin for our own good, for our witness to the world, and for his glory. I hope at this point, at least two things are very clear to you. That you are in a war against sin, one way or another. That Christ is your only hope of victory. That is true both in this age and the age to come. But I want you to know that the reason I labored long in this first lesson to elaborate on the gospel. Maybe you came to this class or someone listening later online. and You're wanting to learn how to overcome one little specific sin in your life. But if you have not come to saving faith in Jesus. If you've not bowed the knee, given up your rebellion, and submitted to him as your Lord and Savior. You have no hope of overcoming sin. Yeah, maybe you can find some reform and change one little area of your life, but you're still on the wrong side of the battle. You're still the enemy of God, but you can repent now, believe now, and he grants you new life, the ultimate victory. He just hands it to you. And then he equips you to overcome in this life practically. For those who have done that, who know that here as believers, you too still cannot forget Christ is still the Master key to victory. Listen, not just for the next age, but for this age. Too many Christians hope in Jesus just to, to fix them in the final age. I'm just, I'm waiting for glorification. Just kind of wait, waiting around, doing the best I can, waiting for his power to fix me in glorification. And we, we do wait for that, but his power is also intended for us to live and change in this age. We need to understand that. And avail ourselves of that power, his resources. As you awaken to a long wrestling match with your flesh, you can, by his power, his spirit, and his word, overcome. You can find meaningful, lasting victory. We we don't subscribe to Christian perfectionism. We know the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. We're realistic, but his power is sufficient. Uh, We can just simply say this. To the degree that you perfectly walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's true. God's not the limiting factor on your growth. He's given you new birth, His Spirit, the Word. What more do you want Him to do here? He's already given you all the power. He has called us to do something. He's given us marching orders. Walk by His Spirit. Be filled with His Word. Work out your salvation. But after all we've covered, there's still that that one big question we haven't yet uncovered. Again, I know that's why you came here. It's it's the how. You're like, how do we actually do that? How practically, like, what does it actually mean to walk by the Spirit? That's a metaphor. Like, so what does that mean? How, How do you actually do that? To work out your salvation, like, what does that look like Monday through Friday? Like, realistically, what are the mechanics of spiritual growth? What, what does God expect me to do? What, what are we talking about here? And so I'll say again, welcome to this equipping class on the war against sin. Because that, that is entirely what we're going to talk about in the remaining lessons. No soldier can be left clueless on the battlefield. Every single one of you needs to reach a point of clarity about you know exactly what God expects you to do and you know exactly how to do it, then it's purely up to your obedience or disobedience that you will do it or not do it. But you need to, we have to erase all ignorance and, and cloudiness here. And that's, that's our goal. I can't fight for you, but I can simply do my best as the Lord has equipped me to, to teach you how to fight. And that's our aim. I realize most of you probably aren't satisfied tonight because we haven't answered that the main question you came here for, the sin that plagues you, you're still not equipped, but this is just one of those uh, series you, you got to hang on for the whole ride. But still, don't, don't shortchange the fact that hopefully your eyes have been opened to that the bigger saga of this war against sin, what God is doing with it, how he has recruited us, what he aims to do. This is, uh, over the next six, uh, six weeks, we will be equipped. So, like I said, hang on for the ride. There's a lot to come. Next week, we'll be exploring the, the battlefield, making sure that you show up to the right battlefield in your war against sin. I mean, how tragic would it be if there's a war, you enlist to fight for your country, and you show up to the wrong battlefield? Like, you miss the battle entirely. You show up to the wrong spot. You're fighting the wrong, fighting the wrong place. Now, how futile yet. How many Christians, maybe yourself included, they've been 
waging war against their own sin the wrong spot. They're not even fighting the right place in the wrong battlefield. That's next week. That's a pretty big deal. And we'll go on from there. So hang around. I hope you've been instilled with some hope. Ultimately, it's in Christ. And already appreciate the victory he has granted to us in his death and resurrection. Already set your mind on things above. And we'll find a not so secret that beholding Christ, his glory, is, is the means to all things. So let's get a little taste of that. Let's finish in a word of prayer. Our Savior Christ, we we exalt you this evening as we reflect on your victory for God against sin, against all sin. And God, in in the the unravelable wisdom of of your mind, you ordained and allowed for this perfect world you made to, to fall, for Satan to rebel, for man to rebel, for sin and death to enter for the curse to, to plague this world. You, you allowed for this. Yet by it, you can put on your display your, your, your greater glory, your attributes, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness. We can't un- unravel all of these mysteries, but we know this. We, we were aligned with those who rebelled against you. We were among the guilty, the, the pirates, the, the sinners who have shaken our fists at you, declared independence, and set up our own throne. But even still, you sent your son Christ to die on that cross, to to rise from the dead, to pay our our debt down entirely, and to call us. And in time, you have called us. We thank you for that call. It's undeserved. It's just pure mercy. And we don't ever get beyond that. Learning to overcome sin, it goes no further than the power of the gospel. That's just where we live now. And I pray everyone here does not get beyond that, to to live daily in in the power of what Christ has done. We will discover how vital that is to our spiritual growth. For any here who have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, convict them this evening. That's a work you must do to show them their sin, to show them the futility of this rebellion, yet to show them your love for them on the cross. What more could you do to show that love, to demonstrate your love toward sinners and rebels? But for us who have been redeemed, and we long for more equipping. Your word is clear. It's true. We long for it like babies. We long for the pure milk of the word that by it we may grow in respect to our salvation. So we, we trust you to, to feed us in the weeks to come. But for now, indeed, help us just to set our minds on things above, to, to fix our gaze on Christ, knowing he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And so we do wait on him. Fill us with Christ and we live in his ways. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.